Let the revival begin. These were the words of Bishop Andrew Cousins as he gave that uh, inaugural address to open this year of Eucharistic revival in these United States. Let the revival begin. The hope is that every Catholic Christian would have an encounter with the transforming love of Jesus Christ, truly present in the Blessed Sacrament. What a gift that is to meet Jesus in a preeminent way here in the Eucharistic mystery that we celebrate Sunday after Sunday, even day after day. What does that mean when we hear words like this? A transforming encounter with the risen Jesus. Well, one of my favorite gospel passages is the uh, gospel of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. That's an image of what can and should happen to us every Sunday. We're walking together as disciples. Let's be honest, often we bring to this very place disappointment. We can't always understand what the Lord is doing or why he's doing it. We're confronted with a great mystery called the Paschal Mystery. Just this morning, my parochial vicar and I received two calls to Children's Hospital. Mm. As I'm driving here today, I'm wondering what those parents are feeling as a one-year-old boy is fighting for his life, as a young girl is diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. It's not the end of the world, but it's certainly a Paschal mystery. Where is Jesus? That's what we ask sometimes, sometimes very often in the life of faith. And then we come to this place, and as the readings are proclaimed and the gospel is, is preached, we feel a fire in our hearts. It begins to burn as we uh, hear the mysteries explained to us. And then we bring those burning hearts to this table. And the bread is taken and broken. And what are we told? Our eyes are open in the breaking of the bread. We see this is Jesus. He has been with us all along. We felt abandoned by him. When we saw him on the tree, we thought our hopes were dashed, our hopes for a Messiah, our hope for a redeemed world, a hope for eternal life, but they're not. He's actually been walking beside us, and we see him in the breaking of the bread. That's what should happen in every Catholic church on every uh, Sunday when we have this Eucharistic um, celebration. We encounter Jesus, and our eyes are opened. Unfortunately, uh, in these United States, the, the number of Catholics who understand these mysteries, who understand or whose eyes are actually open to see this is Jesus. He's with us. He doesn't abandon his church. He's with us always as he said he would be. It's frightfully small. Some 25 or 30 percent profess a, a faith in the real presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And the bishops, uh, led by Bishop Andrew Cousins, are responding to this crisis of faith because that's what it is. It's a crisis. And what does Jesus do when there's a crisis of faith? Is this the first crisis of faith in the history of the church? No. Absolutely (laughs) not. Will it be the last? 
No. Unless Jesus <laughs> comes today, it won't be the last crisis of faith either. <laughs> All throughout our church's history, the faith, that precious faith that has been given uh, through Christ and his mother and the saints, it tends to wane. What, what's Jesus' response to that? He sends saints. Holiness is always the response to a crisis. Jesus sends his church saints. And when the faith in the Eucharistic mystery goes down, he sends saints who have a special understanding of that mystery. I'm thinking in the 17th century of St. Margaret Mary of Alacoque. Some of you might know her, might be even named for her. Lots of Margaret Marys uh, a generation or two ago. Named for St. Margaret Mary, it was that saint, a visitation nun, while she was in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, Jesus appears to her in a vision. And he's pointing to his heart with one hand, and the other hand, he's pointing to the Blessed Sacrament. And he says, Behold this heart that has so loved men, even to be extinguished and consumed for love. Many of us know that line, Behold this heart that has so loved men. And it's a revelation of the heart of Jesus in the Eucharist. Many people don't know the next line of that revelation, that very visitation. But is so little loved in return and is met by the vast majority of Christians by indifference, coldness, and even sacrilege. So here we have the heart of Jesus truly present in every Catholic church, in every tabernacle throughout the world. And how many Catholic Christians respond to that? How many are aware of it? But even being aware, how many want to console the heart of Jesus with our presence, with our adoration, with our conversation, with our love? St. Margaret Mary, of course, helped to renew uh, devotion to Jesus, his heart, in the, in the Holy Eucharist in the 17th century. There was a saint in my own life that helped me to do that, when I was in the seminary. Archbishop Harry Flynn, some of you might remember uh, Archbishop Flynn, such a lover of God, such a lover of the Holy Eucharist. When I was in seminary, he gave his testimony of having been a young seminarian. I think he was at Mount St. Mary's Seminary on the East Coast. And at some point in his formation, he decided to go into the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel just for a visit. And so that's what he did. He went into the Adoration Chapel, said a prayer quickly, got up to leave, and he heard clearly in his heart these words from Jesus. Is that all you're going to give me, Harry? And his heart sunk, and he got back on his knees and made a commitment from that day forward to make a holy hour every day of his life, every day of his priesthood. And as he finished that homily to us in the seminary, he said with his typical charm, And I've been mighty faithful if I do say so myself. <laughs> and he was faithful. We have these beautiful memories of him as priest going into his residence and seeing him seated very peacefully facing the tabernacle. What a gift that was for me. I made a similar resolution in my own life and my own priesthood, and I've been mighty faithful, I have to say, to that uh, commitment myself. It's a great gift, but we need these saints to remind us to it. You've had these saints. The revival has begun here. In fact, I think it began 20 years ago with Father uh, 
Richards and some of you who said, uh, who answered Margaret Mary's call, we don't want to have indifference or coldness or sacrilege when we have this great mystery in our presence. Come, let us adore him. And adoration extends the mystery that we celebrate at this altar. The Eucharistic mystery is extended in time and space. And I want to thank you for that gift that you've given to the Church. It is a gift. Every prayer that goes up in the presence of Jesus goes into that heart, and it comes back to us one way or another. I believe that truly. And I I think uh, you're blessed with a priest like Father Joseph because of your prayers, I'm sure. How many places I visited, I'd say, boy, we're convinced we have this priest because of all the prayers that we've offered in this place. My grandma never forgot that as well. My saintly grandmother had an incredible devotion, not just to the Holy Eucharist, but to the Holy Priesthood. They go together. They were instituted together in the upper room in Jerusalem when Jesus said, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, to his apostles. Then he said, Take this cup. This is the chalice of my blood. And then those beautiful words, Do this in memory of me. Do this in memory of me. That was a command. It's a command that's been answered in every generation. It's a command that was answered by your priest, Father Joseph, when he said yes to drop the nets and to follow Jesus as a priest. Without the Holy Priesthood, there isn't the Holy Eucharist. So I certainly hope and pray that as in your, you're in the Adoration Chapel, that becomes one of your great petitions. Increase the number just as we prayed. Take from our families, choose from our families those needed for your work. It's a, it's a beautiful gift. I have a brother, Father Peter, who is a priest. And my saintly grandmother, she had 11 children. Seven were boys. She was absolutely sure one of those boys would become a priest, and that didn't happen. So, But patience attaineth all things, says St. Teresa of Avila. She waited one generation. She got two priests. And uh, I remember being newly ordained, and she had told me this story before, but my grandmother lived an incredible life, but had a terrible disappointment happen to her when my grandfather left her after 11 children, if you can imagine that. Um, and she went on her knees to Annunciation Church, and she was crying, and she was crying. She poured out her heart, and she apologized. It wasn't her fault, but she apologized. I'm sorry, Jesus, I couldn't make my marriage work. And for a Catholic woman to be divorced at that time, what a shame, what a sorrow. But she said, when she stopped crying, she said, my grandma's a poet, as you'll find out in just a moment. I'll share one of her poems. But she, she stopped crying, and she looked at the crucifix on her knees and says, Jesus, will you be my spouse and the head of my house? And she heard his response, yes, Marie is her name. Walk with me, and I will be your friend. And she walked with Jesus every day in Holy Mass. I've never seen my grandmother miss uh, the Holy Mass. And she brought us as little kids when we'd visit her in Minneapolis. We'd wake up early. She'd do the Stations of the Cross before Mass and the Holy Rosary after Mass. And she taught us how to love Jesus in these mysteries. And uh, at one point when I was older, of course, and could understand better what she went through, she shared a poem that she wrote. And the poem was, this is in her darkest days. She's now a single mom. There's still children in the home. I think the three or four youngest were still there. She'd never worked before. 
11 children is a full-time job, and now she has to make her way in the world. But she went to Mass on the Feast of St. John Bosco. That's January 31st, I think, 1967, if I'm not mistaken. And as she came, she always sat in the first pew, as she came up to receive Holy Communion, and the priest said, the body of Christ, she saw the face of Jesus clearly in the host. And she was so excited by that. She received Jesus, of course, after Mass. She went quickly to the sacristy, and she explained to Father Pouliot, Francis Pouliot, who just went to God two months ago, what had happened to her. She was astounded by this. She never forgot it. And he invited her to go home and write about it. And that's what she did. And because she's a a poet, uh, she made a poem. This is the poem she wrote. And what I want to impress upon you is that most of us, maybe in our egoism, if something like that happened to us, we'd be focused on how much Jesus loves me. And if certainly he did show his love to her in those dark days, Marie, I'm with you. You're not alone. Like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, you might seem to be abandoned, but I'm with you, and your eyes will be opened in the breaking of the bread, and your heart will burn with love again if you come to these mysteries. But it was really an ode to the priesthood. She talked about how blessed the priest was to have held this face in his hands. And that's part of my grandma's humility. So I'll end this morning with this beautiful Eucharistic poem from my grandmother. You held the face of Christ today, a gift I will never forget. To be so touched in this special way, an awesome and humbling effect. Rejoice he shows you once again. God is love in bread forever. The mass of sacrifice shall always remain my most precious daily endeavor. The face I saw this morning on the host so pure and white impressed on my mind as a warning never to leave his sight. Praise the sight beheld today. Praise be Jesus Christ. Praised your hands blessed to pray. Praised be Jesus Christ.